Jinkui! Ma ne mo Borat! This is my podcast! The second day film podcast! It is the official podcast of Kazakhstan! Number one exporter of bullshit! Uh, uh, excuse me, Borat, can, can I step in here? Uh, that's not how we start this podcast. Why not? Uh, because it's just not how we do things. So, uh, step aside, please. Very nice! Hello, Kazakhstan. This is indeed the Second Day Film Podcast, the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is Friday, November 13th, 2020. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, joined today by Mike Nichols. Uh, Mike, I hope you're settling uh, in well down there in Texas. How you doing, my friend? Doing okay. The weather's been uh, in the 70s and sunny every day this week. Excellent. Also making his long-awaited return this week is Mr. Evan Dean. Yay! Evan, it's a round of applause. Let's get a round of applause for Evan's return to the podcast. The listeners are fired up that Evan has returned. Evan, I'm glad to see you've been uh, dodging the hurricanes, avoiding the man-eating gators that I keep seeing on Twitter. Uh, welcome back, my friend. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we had uh, a near miss with a hurricane, and then we had this like Jurassic Park like creature roaming one of the golf car uh, golf courses in our area. So, it's been an interesting week. Florida is never short on just crazy news. Uh, but I'm happy to be back with you guys. You know, it's it's been it's been a little while. The uh, you know, the the excitement of Tiger King has worn off. We we we've talked a few times since then, but I've missed the last few pods and um you know, I'm excited to get back, and, and I'm excited to uh, maybe down the road do another one of those character drafts. I mean, we had such a hit with the Disney character draft. I'd like to do something like that again. Yeah, we had we had talked about doing something for Halloween, but it, it never really came together, so we kind of failed at that. But we will do another one of those because yeah. that was, you're right, that was well-received, and it was really fun to do, too, like just compiling the lists and talking crap about something that doesn't matter it was really helpful in this crazy year that is 2020 oh yeah um so yeah speaking of crazy uh coming up on today's show we're going to review uh several new things that uh all of us have been watching including the film of our generation the long-awaited sequel that sort of came out of nowhere uh, in Borat's subsequent movie film. Uh, I'll read the rest of the 10-minute title when we get to that. Really excited to talk to talk about that with you guys. Um, but before we get there, please join the conversation about movies new and old on Facebook by liking the Second Day Film Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Second Day Film. We're also on Instagram at Second Day Film Podcast. Uh, listen to our old episodes on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and iTunes, and Spotify. And if you could give us a rating and a review while you're there, we would very much appreciate that. Um, but I'm excited to be here, guys. Uh, it's a it's a wonderful Friday night. I'm sipping on my my uh, Jack and Jack and actually just Jack. I was going to say Jack and Coke, but who needs <laughs> Coke when you got Jack? Um, so I'm excited to talk movies, have a little fun here tonight. What's so funny, Mike? nothing nothing at all champ (laughs) anyways i'm rambling so let's get into it um a little bit of a unique coke (laughs) 
<laughs> a little bit of a unique situation here where I have not seen most of the stuff we're going to talk about. I think it might be the only thing I haven't seen in like the last four years. Uh, but but Mike, let's start things off with The Vow. It's a, I believe it was an HBO mini series or actually a series because it looks like a season two is coming. Uh, but the plot summary on IMDb, a look at the experiences of the members of the NXIVM, an organization and sex cult who made headlines for being charged with sex trafficking and racketeering conspiracy. Uh, Mike, you just got out of this cult, so tell us what it was like uh, being in there and what the what the show was all about. Um. Anyway, so yeah, the show, the show is uh, a true crime <laughs> documentary series. Uh, the first Wait a second, you're not going to defend yourself there. You might uh, want to clarify. No, I, I can't comment on it for, for you know, ethical and, and legal reasons. But um, <laughs> Tom Cruise will come after you. Yeah, no, this one isn't his. Um, this is, oh. uh, the way they pronounce it is Nexium, even though it's spelled N-X-I-V-M. Um, and what HBO did was, this is a true, tri- true crime documentary. The first season um, was actually made by people who were, in it and kind of getting out and they were recording their own experiences. And it's got that very much feel of you're walking through the escape from this cult with these people and you're seeing their process of how they kind of come to see the truth and the conversations they're having. And um, the second season will kind of focus on the legal battle that takes place. The first season ends with, uh, this isn't a spoiler. It's been in the news because obviously they're making documentary about it. Uh, the guy gets, uh, he gets arrested and they're going to go to court. And so that's the first season is all about that journey out. And the second season will focus on the legal battle. Um, but yeah, Nexium um, was kind of first uh, like marketed as like basically a kind of marketing company and it's personal professional development and um, it's executive success programs were kind of this part of this, you know, cerebral and ethical training for people. Um, And the documentary really kind of follows um, the stories of uh, Sarah Edmondson, uh, who was one of the leaders, Mark Vicente, who was essentially like the right-hand man for a lot of it. And then Bonnie, who was Mark's wife. And um, it's a really, really personal look at why do people get into cults? especially one like this, that when you're looking at it, it just really does seem like a marketing and self-help program. And the way it's presented, nothing does seem sinister about it until some stories start coming out of the woodwork about, you know, there's this girl who um, is kind of recruiting other girls. And, you know, as part of the coaching tr- like process, I'm going to call you like slave and you have to be my master and you have to respond to me and only eat what I tell you to eat and stuff. And then, all of a sudden women are being taken into a private room and they're getting branded with a logo, like an actual mm. brand is being burned onto their body and they're kind of being coached. Um, a lot of them for sex with the leader, Keith Ranieri. Um, and so that's when you start realizing what was maybe going on behind the scenes that a lot of good people were involved in and didn't know it shows how much gray there is for people that are involved in these kind of communities where, you know, maybe someone was just an outside member and they, they just were taking a couple of seminars on, you know, their speaking skills or like goal setting and stuff. And then to hear that this corporation they're part of is actually, you know, doing these horrible illegal things behind the scenes. Um, you, you know, it does 
express the stories well from the people inside. But sometimes I think that actually limits it by not giving as much objectivity because I, I feel like there's more that was going on that they didn't really show. I feel like there had to have been more conversations, more extreme experiences. Um, but uh, it does do a good job of showing the perspective of the people who are in it. It shows how magnet, uh, magnanimous and um, kind of creepily controlling Keith Raniere was um, as a leader. And it does a good job of that. Um, and uh, there is also, I should mention, another documentary that's also kind of come out about the same time, which is called Seduced, which is inside the Nexium cult. That was made by someone who's uh, a big part of the Vow documentary, but she doesn't really play as much of a main role. She's kind of a character that everyone's trying to get out of the cult. Like a lot of the Vow follows the process of this character, this woman, India Oxenberg, follows her mother trying to get her out. But India has now gone on to make her own documentary about the experience. So that's also a second one um, that's happening. And it's kind of like the, the, the two documentaries that got made about Fire Festival. One was kind of made by the people who were in it. And another one was made by, um, you know, outside groups. So, so yeah, I, I think it would be interesting to watch both. But for now, I've just seen The Vow. And, yeah, it's a really intense um, – it's, it's a hard watch. And it'll definitely start a lot of conversations. So hmm. one, I so I haven't seen this, but two big questions that I have. One, it's nine episodes long, so I'm wondering. So like some of these series that are you know basically documentary series, like Making a Murderer, right? That was a big deal. Everyone loved that, but it was like mm-hmm. ten episodes long, and I feel like it could have been five or six episodes long. It was really like it sort of started to drag, at least in my opinion, down the stretch because there was just so much courtroom stuff, and it was just constant courtroom for like four episodes. My question is, does this show keep you engaged through all nine episodes? And then my other question would be, since there is a season two, does this story leave enough for where a season two could make sense? Or are they just trying to do it for, you know, money and attention? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think some people will probably feel differently um, about it. I personally think that it starts off slower than ends. So the way it starts off is a little bit slow. But then it, it does build strong and the way it ends does leave room for a season two to answer more questions and to follow the legal process. Because, you know, it's not it's not an easy thing to do to, you know, prove certain, you know, legal um, matters when it comes to tr- like situations like this. It is it is tricky. And I think that'll be really interesting to watch the step by step process of what people have to go through, because one thing it does focus on is people who did try to leave earlier and tried to call this guy out and like they just sued them for everything. Like they sued them for this. They, they, and just a, a normal average person having to suddenly pay to like fight, you know, 12 different legal battles they're suddenly in. Like it destroys them financially. It destroys their ability to work because they're so focused on these cases. It destroys their lives. Like half this person's life now is just fighting a legal battle against a cult. Like, and it's, it's miserable. So I am interested to see more of the legal process behind it. Um, but yeah, I will admit the vow drags a little bit in the beginning, but you know, sometimes the extra footage does actually help when it comes to doing the storytelling of a cult, because often with cults, people say like, look, like it, it didn't start that way. Like, you know, when we joined, like everything was great and normal. And then like slowly they get you. And I think maybe sometimes sitting with that stuff a little bit more can help you understand the mind processes that people who get sucked into cults go through. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that's it's it's interesting, you know. I I always want to 
approach people who become involved or sucked in, as you said, I, you always want to approach those individuals with like some level of like, you know, sympathy or, or trying to understand what they were going through rather than just, you know, rather than just say, how could you, you know, how could you do that? What, what were you thinking? Um, and it sounds like, you know, in this case, I, I mean, I wonder, it, it really peels back kind of right their perspective. And, and I'm sure now looking at it from the outside, kind of looking back into it, they're able to realize maybe how they, they became involved in something that ended up, you know, becoming something they didn't expect. Yeah. And one thing I do wish they would have done is I wish they would have, uh, maybe focus a little bit more critically on the main characters who are obviously telling their story of like, well, we're getting out, you know, we're trying to fight this now, but I feel like it must've left things out about how maybe people like Mark or, um, people like Sarah were part of the abuse themselves and maybe they aren't being as, you know, uh, maybe they're not showing how far they, they as individuals also went and are responsible for what happened. What, um, what kind of grade would you give it? Uh, I'd give it a, I mean, this is really the only thing I've ever seen about this cult. So as more material comes out, like, you know, I'm, I'm sure this is like a first opinion, you know, this is the first taste of this story I've had, so to speak. Um, I would give it a, I would give it a B plus. I'd say it's a solid watch. I think it's really important for generating conversation, if anything. Like, it, it'll definitely make you talk. The content's really, really powerful. Okay, well, that's The Vow. It's uh, available on HBO Max. Okay, the 10-episode first season run, and a season two is on the way in 2021. Uh, so something to check out. Uh, let's move forward to uh, something that Evan has been working on for months. In fact, it's the reason he hasn't been on the podcast um, for for months. He's been studying this film rigorously. Uh, it's called Fantasy Island. It was released in, on February 14th. Uh, the plot summary on IMDb, when the owner and operator of a luxurious island invites the collection of guests to live out their most elaborate fantasies in relative seclusion, chaos quickly descends. Uh, rumor on the street is Fantasy Island is located just off the coast of Fort Myers, Florida, and uh, Evan has been uh, spending his weekends there playing golf and uh, living out his wildest dreams. So, uh, Evan, um, this movie stars Michael Pena, Maggie Q, Lucy Hale, and a bunch of other no-names. Oh, Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker. We know him. Um, so so how in the heck is it going on Fantasy Island, my friend? Man, I'll tell you what. Um, <laughs> to be clear, this film requires none of the research or uh, investment that was just laid out. Um, Champ's just giving me a nice jab in the side because I've been lazy. The reality of it is, is twofold. I've been busy because I'm always busy with my job and we're in the middle of a busy period. I mean, hell, we just got through a damn election and it's the ratings book, all that. But two, I'll be honest, uh, football season's rolled around. Sports are starting to get back on our television sets and uh, it's, it's taken away from my film and television watching outside of sports. Yeah, I hate said. sports. I don't watch any sports. Yeah, well, you you somehow find time to do it all, man. And I wish I had your ability to manage time, but you know, I'll just that's some that's a gift you have. I don't sleep. I exactly. I don't sleep. You just you just 
watch shows through the day and night. Anyway, um, you know, Mike brings up this show that's like really thoughtful and has very complex issues and Thank can you. spark like some some really deep discussions about, you know, the human behavior. And then I roll in with this just horrible Blumhouse film and um you know, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna expend uh, too much time talking about this. It is a, a Blumhouse joint, as Champ would say, and they've produced a ton of really popular um, horror films uh, in recent years. I mean, we're talking what Insidious, uh, The Sinister, Get Out, the Paranormal Activity. I mean, they've had their hands on all sorts of different films. Um, but this is so. So, just for a little quick background, Fantasy Island was a, a, a widely, widely um, popular television show from the seventies. It, it launched in like the late seventies. It aired several years. I want to say almost a decade, and there was some hundred and fifty episodes. And it was I've never seen it, but from what I've read, it was this kind of like. PG lighthearted comedy show. And they bring in a lot of, um, they bring in a lot of like celebrities, like special guest stars. And they would come in with their, you know, whatever their idea was for a celebrity. And it would like go comically wrong. Right. And, or whatever their, sorry, whatever their, their idea was for like their fantasy and their fantasy would just go comically wrong. Well, this movie decided to take the horror approach to it. And, um, I mean, I'll just, it's horrible. It's a horrible film. So all of these, these individuals, and, and look, look, if you've listened to the pod for any point in time, you know that I enjoy mindless, like low budget B level horror films. Like I enjoy it. I think there's something to like, just enjoy them for how bad they are or how stupid they are. This was just, it wasn't enjoyable though, even though it was so bad. Um, these characters come onto this island and they're all promised their fantasy and, um, you know, shit starts going horribly, horribly wrong. And this is one of those films where you have uh, the characters have a hard time differentiating between what's real and what's make believe and what's not. And the you problem mean between is between what's fantasy and reality? Well, yeah, kind of. And and but the problem is is the film never gets to actually dispensing between kind of what's actually happening, what's real, who's actually been killed, who's a real person, who the hell are the people on the island and not. It's so bizarre. And um, you know, Lucy Hale's become, you know, uh, obviously a Blumhouse favorite. But uh, her character in particular, I'll, I won't spoil it, but goes through a um, several different phases throughout this film. And it's just one of those like inexplicable movies where, you know, how things are playing out and how you you move from one scene to another or one plot line to another just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and so I gave it a shot. I put in my free seven day trial on stars and I, I watched this movie. And, you know, I'll just say it's not worth watching. I was super, I mean, I had super, I had super low expectations, but it, it fell below even those expectations. And um, ultimately, guys, um, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this up and say I ended up giving it a four out of 10. And 
I like kind of those dumb, you know, kind of useless, forgettable horror movies. But this was just it was even below that. And uh, it didn't make it didn't make a bit of sense. So I can I can say don't do not watch Fantasy Island. Get off Fantasy Island. Don't even make the trip to Fantasy Island. In case anyone. Oh, sorry. Real quick. In case anyone's wondering how poorly this movie was panned. So the Cats movie from last year, that's got a 20 percent on Rotten Tomato. The Fantastic yeah. Four movie that everyone hated from like like 2015 or whatever it was, that's got a nine percent on Rotten Tomato. Play mine. This movie has seven percent. That's how bad it is. Well, and please, so for- please read the Rotten Tomatoes. Please read it. Oh, it's, it's yeah. Well, yeah. Do you have any that are funny, Mike? I've got uh, it. I've on. got the the consensus says Fantasy Island tries to show audiences the dark side of wish fulfillment, but mainly serves as a cautionary tale about the dangers of exhuming long dead franchises. Yeah, it was. It uh, was. Richard Roper calls it inane and contrived. Uh, Peter Sobolewski of RogerDeber.com calls it utterly boring <laughs> and quote no sane person's fantasy of a half decent movie. Uh, Tom, yeah, Thomas, Thomas Laffey from Time Out. This place doesn't suck, someone observes early on, if only. <laughs> <laughs> well, and just I'll give you guys an example because no one's going to care if I spoil this. Um, the two things that were just ridiculous. Number one, one of the characters' fantasies is to like have this fun fake war fantasy because as we find out, his dad was a war hero who died saving others. Well, his dad actually appears on the island. And we're like, he's like what the hell's going on? Is this real? How is this happening? And it's never explained. Like like that plot line just, it it just plays out. And we never know like how the hell, I I guess we're just expected to believe that the, the plot line, you know, that, that the Island can conjure up these crazy things like that and bring people Mm -hmm. back from the dead. And the other thing is Lucy Hale's the killer and I don't care spoiling it, but her, her whole premise for why she lured everybody to this Island is, I'm not even going to get into it, but it is the most asinine, absurd, like revenge story I have ever heard of in my life. And if you if you want to just see, like read something that's so absurd, that's motivation for a killer that somehow links all of the other characters who came to the island with the killer, you can go and look it up. You don't have to. But if you want to like read something that's just so absurd her reasoning for wanting to kill these particular people is it's, it's, it's insane. So yeah, you guys, you you know, don't even take the trip to fantasy Island. (laughs) It was, so this is what I hate about movies in 2020. This movie obviously getting ripped, but it was, it, it grossed $47 million against a $7 million budget. And that's probably Mm -hmm. because of the, of the seventies show. I mean, people see fantasy Island. They like the show in the seventies. They're like, I'm going to see this movie. And that's during a global pandemic. So I think that's kind of speaks to a nutshell of what we deal with with movies these this day and age when you're getting all these series rebooted, all these sequels. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation that we could sure. we've sort of talked about many times. But it uh, seems like Fantasy Island is anything but a fantasy, uh, more of a night- nightmare. So uh, sounds like a skip it. And we will skip it Indeed. for now and forget that conversation ever happened. Uh, let's move on back to sophisticated. Corner where Mike Nichols lives these days, uh, <laughs> aka my Austin. corner called, <laughs> yeah, uh, Fantasy Island, buddy, uh, <laughs> aka 
Mike Nichols, the home of South by Southwest Film Festival now, which is awesome. We're going to have an on-the-ground correspondent. That'll be fun. Um, but, uh, Mike, you watched another HBO Max series uh, recently, and it's called Raised by Wolves. Uh, this has an 11-episode run. It was created by Aaron Guzikowski. The plot summary on IMDb, androids are tasked with raising human children on a mysterious planet. So instead of mysterious planets, we have a mysterious island. Uh, looks like an ensemble cast in this one, led by Amanda Collin, uh, Ab- Abu Bakar Salim, Wintha McGrath, Travis Fimmel. Uh, not a lot of people that I've heard of here. Uh, Travis Fimmel, I feel like I've seen him somewhere. But Mike, what is Raised by Wolves all about? It sounds somewhat interesting. And obviously HBO has delved into sort of this android robot world with uh you know one of my shows that i like quite a bit westworld so um how how raised by wolves this sounds interesting to me what what is this show all about so raised by wolves is uh essentially a sci-fi story that looks at what does it mean to really kind of be a parent i would say what does it mean to create the future for humanity essentially and um yeah like you said aaron uh oh sorry guzikowski if i sorry dude if i just said your name wrong um he's actually best known for writing a film that i love very much prisoners 2013 with hugh jackman um and jake gyllenhaal yeah it's a great movie um and the first yeah and the first two episodes of this were directed by ridley scott so just right off the bat there's a really strong artistic um fuel behind this uh this story and the show looks incredible. Um, it definitely has some of those 1920s um, sci-fi vibes, like something from Fritz Lang and Metropolis. Um, it, it's got an incredible look to it. Very, like, very iconic already. Um, and the story is essentially about these two androids um, who are taking these human embryos to a new planet um, to try to restart humanity after Earth gets destroyed by a great war essentially between atheists and this religious um, like group. Uh, so or so like androids are now raising these children on this planet and then humans crash land on the planet and then all the drama starts, starts all over again. And um, what's really incredible is like the performances by the main two mother and father, especially Amanda Collin, she is just riveting like every facial expression the way she like plays both the robot but also this intensely like emotional force um and something too i don't know just google like the costumes that mother and father wear it's really like interesting to watch like they look like they're in the most tight uncomfortable like rubber costumes you could imagine um and yet they give these incredible performances um there are these times where the story does get a little like trippy and kind of write, like just like writes itself kind of out of the, you know, the corners it's put itself in with some kind of supernatural. Well, what was it? Maybe it was a voice. Maybe it was this. And Ridley Scott has done that sometimes. Like remember his uh, Moses movie that he made like Exodus where it's like the whole movie is kind of like, Oh, is it really just Moses schizophrenic? Or is it actually God? Who can say? And it's like, nah, just land on something, dude. Like, don't try to be too am- ambiguous about it. It just kind of makes the story not all come together. And there's moments, not not the whole plot, but there's moments in Raised by Wolves that that kind of happens and that gets frustrating. 
but it's really, really interesting. Kind of like Westworld, it does a great job of creating this really um, incredible practical special effects that are mixed with CGI so that like the human and the Android like, you know, connection all look really, like really real. Like it looks great. And um, overall the acting is good. Um, motivations of the characters are interesting. The ending is really kind of trippy. I'm not really sure where it's going to go next season, but it is scheduled for a second one. I would be interested to watch more. Um, definitely if, as long as the writing can get a little bit tighter. Um, I think the acting and the special effects um, and kind of the themes are powerful enough to stick with it. So yeah, I'm looking forward to a second mm-hmm. season. So shows like that deal with androids or robots. I mean, it, I think the the core question that is always, at least most of the time that I ask is like, you know, what does it really mean to be human? You know, like androids in particular who are, you know, traditionally this half robot, half human conglomerate, especially are, you know, susceptible to how much of them are robot, how much of them are human, how can they react? Do they have real feelings? Is this show similar to Westworld? Is it interested in asking that question? Like, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to have human desires? Or is it more sort of just like a a process show where it's sort of just like, this is what's happening in this world? Or is it asking some of those deeper questions? It kind of tries to ask that stuff. There's definitely moments where it takes a heavier focus. And to be honest, just for me, that stuff's really not that interesting because I I feel like we've seen it done so many times with so many different sci-fi stories. Yeah, it is kind of played out, but like... I feel like like Westworld kind of approaches it in an interesting way where like they were like made by humans and they're used as like this amusement toys. And then it develops from there. I mean, I do think there is ways that you can approach it from a fresh standpoint, but it sounds like the show doesn't really fully land on that regard. Um, yeah, it didn't land for me. I, I think for some people it probably would, but, uh, yeah, I think it's just been so played out at this point that, um, it did wasn't what was interesting was the idea of like robots almost discussing their spiritual beliefs like that like we haven't really seen a lot of that like if you mm-hmm. if you're you know if you're just a robot do you believe like that you have you know a place and maybe a more divine experience or like you know how deep can your feelings go towards like leading others in spiritual experiences and and if you're doing it is it really generally coming from you or the humans that programmed you that that got interesting, um, so they did they did do enough with it that I think took it in a fresh direction, but uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm just not super. You know, HBO's got like four different shows. It feels like about that question already. Well, when you're looking at, I mean, I, I, I guess, I guess, did they try to do anything unique in terms of actually like because the, the the whole idea is they're raising, you know, they're having to raise like real children, human children. I mean, and. I mean, is that what they they try to separate it a little bit from things that have already been done? Because, yeah, I mean, we've seen that in some capacity um, in, in like shows like Westworld and others. But I, I agree. It's hard to do the it's hard to make the robot story feel new at this point. So what they do with it doesn't as much show like how they raise kind of all the kids. I, I don't want to give too much away. But um, it, it kind of mostly focuses on one child trying to grasp what his role in the universe is to be. Hmm. I would say they more focus on that. A child they've raised, and, and there certainly are other children they've raised as well. But um, yeah, it tends to more focus on 
like finding your identity as a human and can can the can the androids give that to you and if they did whose programming are you really getting um because a lot of the a lot of the show focuses on the idea of who's really under the face of who people are and again i don't want to give too much away but uh yeah like we are all messengers for someone i guess is a good way to say it i do think it is kind of interesting that so like normally when we see these robot android android stories it's the human creating the robot to serve their purposes so I, I do think it is a little interesting that this show is kind of subverting that trope and to the point where the robot is raising the human. I mean, that, that that's kind of a new way to approach it. Yeah, it is new. But again, you have to ask yourself, well, if the human created the robot, is the, is the, is the robot just still the tool extension of the human or is the robot... Chicken and like, the egg. <laughs> it, that, yeah. yeah, and it does a good job yeah. of kind of exploring that. So yeah, I would give this show a B plus. I definitely would watch a second season... Um, I just hope that the writing gets a little tighter just because there were some things where they do the ambiguous thing and it's like, well, hang on. That just like saved a character's life. There should be a reason that happened versus just like, oh, we're not sure. Yeah. Like, you know, was it real or not? It's like, guys, come on. Like, well, but maybe just, maybe they'll answer more in the second season. And just looking at this, you know, the episode by episode you know, reception, it, it appears as though, at least based on the ratings, it, it, it started strong and really kind of trailed off. At, yeah. least that, at least that's how IMDb shows it, which is always concerning. It gets more supernatural as the show goes on, but the supernaturalness of it isn't really explained. Like things just get yeah. very abstract and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but when it's a story that seems to be sci-fi grounded in like some kind of scientific explanation for things to suddenly then get like almost miraculous is like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Which, which, which genre is this? Um, mm. Well, that's that's raised by wolves. It sounds like something that you know, if you're if you're into sci-fi, I mean, it sounds like something that would at least get you thinking and something yeah. that you might want to check out. Um, it's on HBO Max now, uh, so a, a somewhat decent review there from Mike for Raised by Wolves. Something you might want to check out if you're into sci-fi. Uh, we're going to move on to our our big uh, final review. Something that we've all actually seen here, so I'm excited for that. But uh, Evan, you got any more uh, winners that you want to talk about before we do that? <laughs> um, working on for, working on the fourth season of Riverdale. So I'll give okay, you okay. Uh, moving on. Uh, uh, the review next episode. <laughs> we will not be doing that. Um, anyways, <laughs> let's let's move on to something else. All right, moving on to something uh, even more sophisticated than Fantasy Island is the featured review on today's podcast. Uh, It is a film that sort of came out of nowhere that we weren't exactly ready for, uh, but it showed up anyways. It is Borat, subsequent movie film. Uh, It also has the uh, alternate title of (laughs) Borat, subsequent movie film, delivery of prodigious bride to American regime for make benefit once glorious nation of Kazakhstan. Wait, I thought my pen in the title. Uh, uh, D appears not to be. I don't know. Not right here on according to IMDb. But uh, (laughs) it's directed by Jason Wolinor, but this is really Sasha Baron Cohen's project. Uh, He's reprising his role as Borat Sagdiev, it's the follow-up film to the 2006 comedy centering on the real-life adventures of a fictional Kazakh television journalist named Borat. 
anyone who saw Borat knows that this movie is going to be absurd and ridiculous. I think uh, way back when I listed Borat as one of my top three comedies since 1990 on this very podcast, I remember when rumors started coming out and we started seeing uh, stories of Borat who was spotted filming throughout the United States uh, when this was happening. So uh, obviously a movie that has a huge cult following Borat was a absolutely ridiculous movie when it came out in 2006. This movie is also ridiculous, but it might just be exactly what we need in 2020. So Evan, I'll toss it to you first. Uh, what are some of your initial thoughts on Borat two? That's just what I'm going to call it for uh, convenience yeah. sake. Well, I think this was your number one, wasn't it? Of your number one comedy in so. 1990. I mean, so I know you've been waiting for this. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Borat's great. And this is uh, this was a fun. I, I was a big fan of the original. This was a fun and hilarious uh, sequel. Um, I think there's, there's two things that I really, really, really liked. Um, I expected big things out of Borat, obviously. Sasha Baron Cohen is, is just incredible in this role. But how about Maria Bakalova and Tutar, uh, who's Borat's daughter? She was amazing. (laughs) She was incredible. And, um, in watching some, um, in watching some of the like, you know, late night talk show Zoom interviews they've done since, like she actually that like her act her bad English accent is actually her accent in real life. So, um, but I, but just I mean I thought that she was amazing. I mean to stand alongside Sasha Baron Cohen, who we know is comedic gold, and to hold your own not only hold your own but uh, steal the show uh, in many many scenes. Um, I thought was just I just thought she was she was hilarious and the way that they play off each other um, was was hilarious. Uh, number two is uh, the original uh, the original Borat was very I think that will stand the test of time among comedies. This one was much 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 more tailored toward the current political climate. Uh, obviously there was a major focus on, um, Trump and Pence. I mean, Pence is the, <laughs> the individual who, <laughs> who, he's, yeah, the he's, the, he's who Borat is intending to deliver his daughter to, uh, Rudy Giuliani as we'll talk about makes a, an intriguing, intriguing appearance. <laughs> and of course we're talking about the pandemic and masks and, um, look, I, uh, I think that there are, you know, this pandemic as a whole, I think the majority of Americans have taken it seriously. The majority of Americans um, recognize, you know, there's the concerns with it, but there are very, very extreme, um, you would say, right wing conservatives who don't see it the way that I think the majority of the world sees it. And they are exposed in a hilarious, hilarious fashion in this film. Uh, I don't know that this one will stand the test of time like the original Borat because it really is for our time. And right. we need yeah. we needed this Borat. I mean, oh, this came out of nowhere. I didn't even know it was happening and it hit and it was amazing. I don't know that it's going to carry through because you watch it 20 years from now and it's very relative to this time period. But... That said, I thought it was great and what we needed for this crazy-ass world we're living in in 2020. 
Go ahead, Mike. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what Evan said. Like the first Borat is, is a classic uh, in some ways, timeless. This one definitely feels a lot more like a timestamp of right now. Um, and yeah, uh, the the young actress uh, Maria uh, Bakalova like stole the show as Tutar. Um, incredible uh, performance from her. Uh, kind of what Evan was saying, like you know, this one it, it does a, a really good job of putting him in places where he's got kind of maybe easy targets, if that makes sense. Like these are people oh, yeah. who are pretty. What, what's what's the song he does? Sorry to cut you off. The no, song no, he ahead. does. poor. The people. song he does at that concert. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, um, anyway, but, uh, I also like, in some ways I, it made me, when I was watching it, it made me wonder a lot about the setup and the editing of the film. True. Because, you know, all these people know, all these people know there's a camera right there. All these people understand this is being filmed. Uh, you know, all these people agreed to do something with this. What did they actually sign? What were they agreeing to? What did they really think? You know, it's a movie that's edited very well, and it's obviously it's hysterical and and like very raunchy and a very madcap, like like with a madcap sense of humor. But it makes me, it does make me wonder about the behind the scenes of how did they get in that room? What did they tell these people was going to happen when they arrived? Like, um, I, I think he's very bold to do the type of humor he does, and and again, it does draw out people's real in some ways personalities, but and also in another sense it's not fully who people are because they're being exposed to something that I, maybe they got tricked with. So that's well, one thing that I felt more yeah. aware of watching it around this time. Now that we kind of know like who Sasha Baron Cohen is, you know, again, he's a genius. I think it's hilarious, but watching it this time, it did make me wonder more about what was the setup, like, like behind this. And, you know, uh, people are, are coming out and saying they felt tricked, um, which makes me wonder then how, you know how much of the laughing that we're having at them is fair. Well, but, uh, I will just say I, I will just say I had the same question watching the first Borat, and I wondered how much of this is real, how much of this is you know them knowing what's going on and kind of playing along. Um, I think the question that Sasha Baron Cohen would ask is: even if they are being tricked, are they deserving of empathy? <laughs> You know, I guess, yeah. what, Champ, I know that you're a huge Borat fan, and obviously, what did you think? But also, do you know any idea of how much of this is staged versus how much of it is, like, natural reaction? So, in my in the first one, I know it was a mixture of both. So, some of it is obviously, like, when he's in his village in Kazakhstan in Quill Fingers. You know, he's, some of that is obviously staged, and a lot of it is staged because they can just film it you know, anytime they want. My understanding is that in a lot of these, the filming from the first one, they would like tell people that like, yeah, we're filming this for a documentary and something might happen, but just go with it. Like they would, they wouldn't tell them exactly what was going to happen, but they would tell them that something might happen. So like, just, just be prepared for anything is what basically what they would tell them. But you guys bring up now in this film, you know, obviously in the second film, Borat is a known mm-hmm. person and they show, I liked how they used that sort of in the plot of the film. Yeah. Right. So they, they, they showed why Borat had to go get excuses because Sasha Barry, obviously from a meta perspective, we all know Borat is Borat. Like people recognize him as Borat, but within the world of the film, I liked how they used his fame as sort of like 
a plot device, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So like, this is why he had to get, this is why he had to get, uh, you know, uh, disguises yeah. because everyone knows Borat, you know, he's famous in America now. So the way that they worked around that was great in a general standpoint. The way I felt about when I heard this movie was coming was I was terrified because Borat, like you said, Evan is one of my favorite comedies. I was worried when they announced this, I said it to everyone I saw. I'm like, it's either going to be freaking hilarious or it's going to be a complete train wreck. There was going to be no middle ground. So when I saw that this movie was getting good reviews, I was pumped. Like, I was like, yes, this movie is clearly because the way that I felt it would have to be successful, the way I felt it would have to be if it was going to be successful was it would have to really take advantage of encapsulate the time period that Mm -hmm. we're living in. Right. It's almost like 2020 has been so crazy. It's almost like maybe Borat, maybe the outlandish direct, no holds board barred comedy of Borat. Maybe that's what we needed in 2020, where we can make fun of how, you know, bleeding heart liberals are. We can make fun of how ignorant conservatives are being. And as long as he's making fun of all that, I think that this movie provided something that America can collectively laugh at. And because of that, I think that's, I think it hit on all those notes. And I think that's why it's been successful because the timing of it is like 2020. What do we need? We need masks. We need hand sanitizer. And apparently we need more. Yeah. yeah it was kind of the perfect time to fit. Well, well, it sounds like uh, the dog's doing something. He's not supposed to. Hey, we're recording down here. <laughs> um, um, but uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like it was perfect that uh, that you know Borat came along. I really wonder during the the concert, like, did people know what was going on? Because he obviously didn't just get to the stage miraculously. Like that was some plotting and planning ahead of time. Like he's singing along about the Wuhan flu and like super offensive things and like the crowd singing along with it and it makes americans look like let's be honest it makes americans look like idiotic assholes so i I don't know i i'm with you though mike i do wonder like how much of it did people know how much of it did they not and i think we have i think we have learned though about rudy giuliani that was it sounds like that was relatively I mean, that's become a huge controversy. That's yeah, we got to talk topic. about that. Yeah. We got to talk about that. Um, so I'm sure everyone... We'll go for it. I'm sure everyone's like seen this clip or you know seen the Twitter discussions about this, but there is a scene, kind of uh, one of the climactic points of the movie, where uh, Tutar is uh, pretending to interview Rudy Giuliani. And it's, it's really Rudy Giuliani. And uh, they go back to the bedroom and uh, he starts kind of taking off his, he unbuckles his pants basically and is tucking his shirt in. And uh, it's a very compromising situation. I mean, and, and again, the way it's all edited, it's hard to like, you know, it's hard to fully sometimes grasp the full spoke of it. Cause it doesn't look good, but it's also, it's, it's complicated. And then Borat rushes in to be like, no, no, please don't take her. Take me instead. And then they run off. Um, but yeah, it definitely is not a good have, look for Giuliani. It, it, well, uh, yeah. I have I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, I, you and me, have, all three of us have worked in journalism. Me and Evan are still working in journalism. Like, I have mixed feelings about like setting someone up for a situation they don't know 
what's happening. You know, like I'm not trying to defend Giuliani, but like he thinks this is a legitimate interview. And I think, you know, at at least at the start, he is being kind of sweet. He's trying to calm her down. He's trying to be, you know, whatever his we can't we're not in his head. We don't know what he's thinking, but he is trying to calm her down because she's acting all nervous and whatever. When they get in the bedroom, it's it is kind of compromising. I don't really know what's going on there but i just have i mean it's a movie borat's ridiculous he clearly isn't holding he's not a real journalist he's not holding himself (laughs) to real journalistic standards but like i just have mixed feelings about how they went about getting that whole you know yeah i mean so just so you know i mean obviously i working in tv you have a wireless mic pack and usually you run the wireless pack through like your belt and under your shirt and you run it up and through several buttons so the explanation, I believe, on his part was that he was getting the cord out of, you know, he was he was basically un, untucking his shirt to get the cord out from that area. I don't know that it needed to be done the way he did it, where you're like laying back on the bed. Yeah. Um, but but I, I think that obviously, yes, there's there's some level of entrapment. She's like touching his leg throughout the interview. She's clearly flirting. But, but, but. She's like a 20-year-old girl, and Rudy Giuliani, whether you think he did anything explicitly wrong, it comes off incredibly creepy, to me at least. Yeah, but doesn't, yeah, isn't he told that, doesn't he think that she's 15 in the interview? I don't remember that in particular, but I, I just, I just feel, I don't know, actually, I'd have to go back and check. I, I thought that it was, the, the impression was that she was young, like 18, 20, something like that. And, you know, obviously she's, you know, wh- whatever actually happened or not is, is up for debate, but how he handled it, I thought was incredibly creepy. And, it, and, it, and, and whether he did anything wrong or not, it, it definitely gave the impression that he was a slime ball. And I saw Sasha Baron Cohen uh, with, uh, uh, what is it, Maria? Maria yeah, Bakarova. They were yeah. interviewing on, uh, I think it was Good Morning America or the Today Show, one of those two, the next morning after the release, because that was the that was the headline. And you know, Sasha Baron Cohen said, "Hey, look, you know, watch it for yourself. I think that uh, I think that the situation uh, says, you know, I think I think it says all that it needs to say. Go watch the scene." And I I felt like yeah. you know whether you might be right, Champ. There was some level of like entrapment, but he still comes across as a total creep. No, he does. So, so let's move yeah. out of the Giuliani stuff. Cause there's more we can talk of and we're running short on time here, but what, so was there anything else in the movie that you found particularly like hilarious or made you feel uncomfortable? Yes, I, I, I thought the, the debut, the debutante balls scene where she oh, was oh dancing and pulls up her dress was, was, I was felt so uncomfortable. Yeah. Like <laughs> Well, I actually thought the, the I always thought the funniest part was the very end when they replaced the running of the Jew with the running of the American, <laughs> and it's maskless Trump supporters like trying to spread COVID and they like kill an effigy of Anthony Fauci. Like that is so hilariously on point yeah. for 2020. Yes. Like if if Americans can't laugh at themselves, I don't know what they can do. Oh yeah. The, the other part that was great was that Tom Hanks plays himself as. As just Tom Hanks, and that, and that he gets COVID from Borat like that. I was like, because yeah. it's right at the end, well, and Borat's having this realization of, oh, maybe I'm the one who started COVID, and then yeah. it just cuts to him hanging that's out with Tom too. Hanks. I'm like, wait, that's really Tom, and they actually got Tom Hanks to do it. Like it was so funny. 
but I think that's another reason why this movie works so well is that they bring it all around, right? They 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 work like this fictional story about how the 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 Kazakh you know premier or whoever <laughs> wants to like cause COVID through like gypsy tears or whatever, and like so his the whole, Borat's whole mission going to America was to spread COVID around. Like that's just brilliant meta thinking yeah. that's 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 so such a great way to like encapsulate something that's going on in the world and just explain it in a completely ridiculous stupid yeah. way and obviously what we're dealing with is super serious and what we're dealing with is super intense but like to be able to just make light of it in a way that is harmless i thought was great and i feel like that's part of the reason why this movie's been so successful is because it really captures what we're dealing with right now in a humorous yeah, way yeah i agree and that's why i said in the beginning that when we you know will this be a movie that we go back and watch and 20 years from now we laugh our asses off at i don't know maybe maybe not it, but most of all it will remind us of how crazy 2020 is i don't know yeah. that it'll have the stand long standing withstanding power that borat did but i think that to release it now and to not caps you know capitalize on how insane everything is would have been a mistake and so they did that it worked Maybe it won't give it the, 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 you know, the, the sitting standing power or staying power, I should say, of the other one. But yeah, I mean, it was so spot on. I mean, the jokes were throughout were just hilarious. And and again, you know, to point out how silly I think some people are behaving about this during this pandemic, I thought that was some of its finest moments. What uh, Mike, what kind of grade would you give this? A minus or B plus? Hard to know. I think I'd probably go with. I'm, I'm between a seven and a half and a seven. I, I didn't like. I wasn't in love with it, but I thought it was a well above average comedy. Yeah, there were definitely moments where I just yeah, like, it's an above I burst out laughing at certain moments, like oh yeah, hell yeah. Like, it was just so hard not. And the, the scene oh. where he talks to the old. Uh, that little Jewish lady in the synagogue and she tries to comfort him. Like there was, there was so much heart in that. I was like, this is such a sweet moment. <laughs> I mean, I'm, just laughing I'm sorry. Did you just say, I'm sorry. Did you just say there's heart in something where he gets joy out of learning that the Holocaust did in fact happen? Is that what you just said? He's Jewish. Costume is the most in, offensive Insulting. thing. Oh my gosh. It's an offensive movie, of course. I, I gave it a seven. I gave the original movie yeah. an eight, and I, I obviously like that one better. But I'm glad that this didn't screw up the legend of Borat. Yeah. I will say I, I think it was a worthy successor. It was the right time to release it, so I'm glad it happened. I'm glad we got this, just to provide a little bit of levity. And sort of like, yeah, like I said, we're dealing with something serious here, but at least we can look at it collectively from a ridiculous outsider point of view. And I think the commentary on American yeah. culture was really timely and fantastic. Yeah. So I, I, it's a good movie and it's worth watching. It's available on Amazon prime. I give the original like an eight and a half, so I can't rate no. it as high as that, but that's a, a positive review uh, for, for Borat subsequent movie film delivery of prodigious bride to American <laughs> regime for make benefit. Once glorious nation of Kazakhstan, you can check it out on Amazon prime. So uh, that's all we got for you today on our uh, reunion episode of the second day film podcast. Evan, thanks for returning buddy. We missed yeah, you. Yeah, I've got fantasy Island two coming out next, uh, next episode. So just stand by for that. 
Oh, the people are waiting on the edge of their seat for that one. Uh, Mike, uh, thanks for being here as always. We appreciate your commitment. Yeah, and if we could get the public, all all of our fandom, if they could please allow allow me to review The Great British Bake Off because I have become addicted to this incredible show and a champ doesn't want me to review it. So only the voice of the people will break his iron heart and let us review. What is there to review? The Great British Bake Off. Okay, there's seen not- it's on Netflix, everyone. He's trying to fit it in right it's now. So again, he's totally, this is an to end of the show sneak in, and <laughs> this is the yeah, snakiest point in podcasting. Please, people. Yeah. We're going to get out of here before people. Mike start- <laughs> Let's get out of here before Mike starts reviewing on types of bread you can bake and Evan gets into Riverdale season four. Uh, but appreciate y'all for listening. Please like the Facebook page on Second Day Film Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Listen to all episodes on iFlad, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify. And we miss you. Thank you very much. Very nice. And thanks for listening. And we'll see you. Can't watch.